0: Real life. Superpowers. At least for my personal experience, it's much tougher every time you go back on the merry-go-round because you can fail. I mean, people would clap hands to you as you go up, and they would also cheer as you go down. And uh, the more you have to go down, uh, the tougher it is. So uh, it, it's it's like climbing a ladder. You know, the higher you climb, the more frightening it is looking down.
1: Welcome to our podcast, where we interview trailblazers who've made a significant impact by being human beings, performing at their best. I'm Noah Eshed, co-hosting here with Renan Manipaz. Today, we're excited to have Gur Schatz as our guest. Gur is an accomplished entrepreneur, having founded Incapsula, a cloud-based web application, security, and acceleration company that was later acquired by Impreva. In 2015, he co-founded Cato Networks with Shlomo Kramer, a leading all-in-one enterprise networking and security solution delivered from the cloud. Goren Shloma's vision for Cato Networks has been a resounding success. In just five years, they've raised an impressive 532 million at a 2.5 billion valuation. And as of 2022, have surpassed 100 million ARR. This makes Cato, the fastest growing networking and security startup, outperforming even industry giants like LinkedIn. In fact, Kato's growth rate is faster than many consumer oriented brands such as Wix, Zapier, Canva, and Shopify. We're honored to have Gore on our podcast, sharing his experiences and insights with us.
0: Real life.
1: Superpowers. Gur, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Hey, Gur. Hi, thank you for having me. Busy days for you right now, right? These are always busy days. (laughs) What's keeping you most occupied? I think today what we're mostly focused on is uh,
0: maintaining growth. Uh, As a company, Cato Networks is a company that is both growing and, and needs to grow as well. Because the market is a market that is becoming more and more monopolistic. There are fewer and fewer companies doing uh, the whole platform thing. And it's, it's like that in every part of the networking as well as the security world. There is more and more around consolidation and doing more. So as a company, you really have the need to grow and expand your offering constantly and expand your market because everyone is going towards consolidation.
2: It sounds like uh, like you're you're talking about a, a few uh, I won't call them monopolies a few big ones like who are the, the big ones that are trying to take like you know that are tra- that that are
0: consolidating. Yeah, I think it's it's actually a something that we can relate to in our own lives uh, in the day to day. We want to consume less and less services that provide more. We want to have this holistic I mean I I'm, I'm an Apple user. So once you buy an I- iPhone you know, you sort of you get the Mac as well and you get the, the, the AirPods and you get all these things because they work very well together. And I think that in the world of security, the trend was that things got broken up to many, many distinct you know, capabilities and companies formed around many, many small ideas and uh, in the world of networking as well. And, and basically what we're thinking in Cato and the world, the, the, the direction that we're seeing the world consolidating into is consolidation. It's, it's moving towards less providers, providing more, and having a coherent platform that allows you really to get simple. Allows you to really feel in control of what you're doing.
1: What does Cato do in a sentence to people not from the industry? Well, basically, if you imagine a company that's distributed, it has people
0: working from home, that has data centers around the world, it has multiple offices. That company has a challenge of how to build a single network that allows everyone to connect to their applications and allows every uh, uh, person on the globe to be part of that network without losing the ability to secure it, without losing the ability to control it. Uh, and, and K2 addresses that challenge by building sort of a virtual network can think about as like a, a virtual network in the cloud that everyone's connected and basically provide security out of the box provide all sorts of capabilities and features and it's part of something that's become uh, a, a direction that the whole industry basically is looking for is looking for the consolidation of all these conver- all, all these converged functionalities into something that's unique and 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 streamlined and hence the hence the need for
1: Constant expansion. And how did you come up with the idea? How did you end up founding this company?
0: Well, we basically realized that uh, there is no way that organization can maintain uh, the, the, the number of environments that they had. Uh, we came from managing our own organizations and, and, and cloud services, etc., and we were just overwhelmed by the number of security products out there the number of networking products out there the fragmented nature of everything so basically as i usually say you know a company is always uh, founded on the idea that someone identify a piece of crap in the world and we basically knew that the, the networking for companies uh, around the globe was was crap that was really a pain for everyone and the core idea was that Maybe now it can be addressed. Maybe you know there, there are lots of things in the world that we know are wrong, right? Every day we see them. Uh, but we don't think that they are solvable necessarily. The question is what happens now or why a different approach to something will help? And for us, it helped the fact that we were basically an insi- insiders on in the security world, in the networking world. I operated a, a, a global cloud service. I knew, how the internet worked. I knew that the opportunities were there. So basically, what we had is like this uh, insider's insight that allows us allowed us to basically think maybe there's a different take on this problem that everybody knew existed. As a provider, you're seeing like a holistic approach. So in one sense,
2: you're I agree that you know that it, it, we're trying like to it's better to have a holistic approach because no one needs so many different kinds of suppliers. On the other hand, the implementation. So the struggle right now that like I've been hearing for a lot of a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that also like from the it was always a problem, but the sales cycle and the implementation after the Corona and everything, like it's a hard decision, you know. Uh, uh, Coca Cola, there's no owner anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's a hard decision to get inside the 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 big corporates and 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 implementation. Like how do you do it? How do you solve that problem?
0: Yeah, I think that the two the two main objections that we had starting the company. And maybe the reason that there was a lot of skepticism around it was: a, is what you're trying to do doable? Are you going to fail spectacular and, and, and bring down my own network with you? Uh, so that was one question, and investors were very, very quick to uh, highlight the fact that it's not, it hasn't been done. It's a change in direction, and uh, you know it might not be even doable. And the second thing is, as you said, you know, would companies say, okay, I am going to take this very, very uh, single global um, service and put all of my network on it. That means that if there's a problem with that service, then my network will be down. You know, you have to have a lot of trust in order to do that. Basically, uh, it was a very tough start because of that. Uh, First of all, the technical challenge was big. And second, getting companies to really put their trust in us as a starting point was difficult, but it's an incremental process, right? Uh, If you think about it, 22 years ago, when uh, there was a company called Salesforce, and at that time, uh, people stored all their customer information in the the deepest, you know, location in the organization, somewhere in the basement, Uh, it was the most protected asset. And then, you know, Salesforce came and said, you know, maybe you should put it in the cloud. And most companies, when they started, basically showed them the door very, very politely. Uh, and it took them it took them some time to get first the, the the number of customers to accept this idea of having a cloud service, and then incrementally they went to larger, and larger organizations because the trust was sort of a a, a process that eventually today I think nobody in the world thinks about storing their data in the basement because they know the basement might you know collapse in some locations so so basically uh, this is an accepted fact today and what we're seeing is that in the, in, the, in the beginning it was very difficult for us it was very difficult to get these companies to put their trust in us uh, and we had to have referrals saying okay this is this is stable this is you know there's a lot of things that you can do with it because once they have this capability, they love it. They want something that's that's basically consolidating all the different com- capabilities that they have. They want something that, that allows them to organize the network. And at some point, uh, it was about four years ago, we got some uh, real market acceptance for what we were doing. What happened? So, what changed? Well, as usual, uh, Gar- the, the, the analysts came around. Gartner uh, is an, uh, an analyst company. Uh a global analyst company and, and and probably the most distinguished ones in the enterprise space. And they basically uh, came out and said, hey, we have a great idea. We think that the, the way that networking and security should be managed is this and that and that. It was basically the blueprint of what we were doing. So the good news was we got mainstream support from analysts around, you know, your vision is correct. What you're trying to do is the right way to go. And on the downside... Uh, Now that it's basically something that's published and it's an accepted norm, at least by the analysts, we're basically uh, in in the convergence for every major player in the networking and security industry is headed towards our direction. So we got to decide.
1: But Gort, you're describing four years in which you have a vision and you go to work every day and this is with a team and you're developing something and you don't have the the feedback that you need from the industry and on, and, and even opposed to that that like you're getting actually zero or not zero but you're not getting much buy-in so what gave you the confidence to keep going and i guess also burn money and you have to uh give answers to investors how do you navigate that and and keep believing
0: yeah first of all i'm not really a very confident person i'm i'm really uh Apprehensive and 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 scared, and that's why because uh, we that's why we did the way the the way we entered the market what we did um, was a trade off. Basically, when we started this company, we said, "Hey, this is going to be tough. We don't know how difficult the technical challenge is, but we know that the adoption might be a problem." So, what we did was was decide what was the minimum, the minimum information that we needed. What was the minimum product that we had? and try to launch as fast as possible. And again, uh, in, in startup times today, it might have not been very fast. I mean, we had our first customers on the network within a year. So a year for a, for, for a startup, you most startups would say, well, a year is a lifetime. But for us, just getting all the data centers deployed and deploying all the network, etc., it was very, very tough just getting into a year. But we knew we had to do this because you have to have feedback from the world you have to meet reality and 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 that's so important for startup uh, founders throughout the world they need to meet the market they need to get out of the office and start uh, addressing or start talking with customers and start really uh getting this product and, and seeing whether it solves an issue or not and the second trade-off we did on that was we also started selling well before we had a working product uh so our first installations were pretty embarrassing, and uh, we, had, we had to do that, basically. We had to have sales before the product was 100% working. But by the time Gartner came out, we had uh, hundreds and hundreds, I think more than 1,000 customers.
2: You say that you're not a confident person, okay? So uh, uh, let's talk about it for a second, okay? Uh, yeah, you probably mean also that you're cautious. That means you're logical. Do you, do you define yourself as a logical person?
0: I, 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 on the day to day, I try to be practical. On the day to day, I think that basically uh, you cannot be a hundred percent logical and start a company.
2: Right. So that's actually the question there, because I say, as like investors, they they do really like people who humbly like to talk about the worst case scenarios. Okay. So like on on one hand, it really builds trust. It's also. Uh, one of the best things to do, you know, as an entrepreneur is actually try to fight through those the tough and not being optimistic, uh, which sounds to me that that you did that very well. OK, but how did you prove yourself or to your team? Because it sounds to me that you don't want I'm, I'm guessing here that you don't want to just give out a pitch and, you know, make people believe in, in what you're doing, uh, but you want to actually prove it especially in like such a, you know, when you're going over an holistic approach. So how do you, what is the breakdown of proving something like that, that each time, you know, there's something in that idea and proving it like statistically and logically and not like, you know, because of charisma?
0: Well, I think you captured something that was very uh, correct about the way that you need to work uh, when you're studying something new. You have to maintain at the same time a, a, a very high level of paranoia and concern and the, the, the same thing that drives you towards uh, actually implementing the solution. And at the same time, you have to exude confidence, you know, both internally and externally saying, this will work. Uh, this is a, every setback is just a minor setback. and you can work through this. And maintaining this balance, you know, not to drink your own Kool-Aid and understand that, you know, there are things that are not working and there are things that are needed uh, to improve and uh, addressing them as well as maintaining the internal confidence and the external confidence is the balance that you maintain throughout the lifetime of the company. That's, I'm not sure that answers your, your question directly, but this is the theme that, that follows. And I think it's also something that, start, that begins with the beginning of the company as well as, as moving on. Uh, you have to be you know, both confident and very paranoid at the same time.
2: Yeah, it, I like I love the paranoid thing. It's like fight or flight. I, I agree, but let's talk about the balance. If you have to put it on the balance. OK, well, let's say um, zero would be like uh, like between zero and five on one scale is is the paranoia and and like going going step by step and trying to prove it. And five to ten would be the 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 amount of uh, motivation and sales that you have to put on it. Right. Let's call it the more fluffy zone, the the packaging. OK, where, where, where would you see the scales? Would it be like 80, 20? Would it be 50, 50, you
0: know? Yeah, it's a tough-going question. Uh, wh- what I'd say is basically it's about mint. it's in, in the company's life, uh, I'll put it this way. In the company's life, there's ups and downs, right? There are cases where you're in full crisis mode and that you're dealing with something uh, and, and you really, really need to be focused at that time. And in other ta- and in other times, the company basically is successful, floating. Uh, you basically can, you can say, okay, everything is great now. So it oscillates between the crisis and the euphoria. And what you need to do is, in the crisis time, to be you need to be very, very optimistic to be able to carry it through. And in the euphoric time, these are the tough times for a, a founder or manager or, or any kind of leader, because at these times, you really need to identify what are the things that aren't okay, what are the things that you really need to focus on and sort of bring everyone down for this mode of euphoria and make sure that you're ready for the tough times that are ahead. So it oscillates. It's not something that's constant.
1: And and then with respect to that and, and to your confidence, how much does the fact that you've entered this adventure after you've had very significant success in selling a company, so does that actually make you feel more confident even though you're saying you don't feel confident, but still, it's all relative? And, and how much are you also learning from past mistakes and applying here differently?
0: Yeah, I, I'd say that... Uh, at least for my personal experience, it's much tougher every time you go back on the merry-go-round because the, you can fail. I mean, people would clap hands to you as you go up and they would also cheer as you go down. And uh, the more you have to go down, uh, the tougher it is. So uh, it, it's, it's like climbing a ladder. You know, the, 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 the higher you climb, the more frightening it is looking down. So I'd say that this is, this is more difficult each time. The second thing is, is basically that, um, but once you're in there, it's, 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 a, it's a no-brainer. You just have to push through, right?
2: The, the higher you climb, the more you have to let it down. Totally true. But I need a logical explanation for someone like experienced as you. Wouldn't you say that psychologically, as an entrepreneur, even logically, it would be the opposite? Like, I, I find that a lot. It's, it's also, you know, in the musicians as well. You know, you make one hit, one, you know, great, you know, I'm going to call it a disc or whatever. Um, and, and then the next thing you do, it's a lot harder. And and logically, you know, that's the easiest way to, like, how do you go through that? Like, was it harder for you to do the second one and the third one? What was the point that you got the confidence that, I don't say I won't give a shit but that you knew you had it, okay? Um, Was it the first? Was it before the first? Was it, you know, the second?
1: Because you could have just gone and worked for someone, and I'm not belittling that, but just to add to what Renan is asking, like, you don't have to do this, but something is clearly driving you. So going back to the previous
0: question, so you learn from one time to the other. So you make less mistakes, and that allows you at least to, you know, uh, logically tell yourself that it's possible and you can do that and you should do that. Because... There's things that you learn from one time to the other. The point that you actually make the decision is whether you want to work by yourself or not. And I, I think for me, there was no option. Uh, and I think for Shlomo, there was no option as well. Why? Basically, I don't think I'm very hireable and ve- very uh, well uh, suited to work as at someone else's company. Um, and, and without that affecting my health, uh, mental health uh, greatly. So I'm not built to be a, you know, a hired help somewhere.
1: Why? How would that impact your mental health?
0: Uh, I'm very frustrated of not getting to a direction that I believe in. I'm, I'm very frustrated at, you know, not being able to uh, influence the decisions. So I'd say that's that's a big part of, of going going, you know, through this process
2: were you always at, like um, asking the question, why am I here and why am I doing something? And like, was it a thing uh, like before you were an entrepreneur?
0: The place where I discovered that I have a very difficult time with organizations and, you know, large organization and rigid organizations was when I joined the army. And then I discovered uh, as many people do that this is a rigid organization that does not obey uh, common laws or, or sometimes even common sense. So, at the army I realized even though I was an officer and I stayed in the army uh for for a bunch of years uh you know beyond beyond the mandatory service, I discovered that I don't like the idea of a large organization that is not hundred percent uh motivated and hundred percent you know following a, a clear path.
2: But now let's say you're scaling businesses and they're
0: large. Yeah. And that's that's a frightening thought actually. You know, am I going to be like one of those organizations that I hate?
2: So you hate your own company suddenly?
0: Yeah that's that's a big that's a big question that is probably part of the the things that I'm I'm concerned with. How do you maintain an organization that's agile, that is uh, learning, that is moving fast ahead, even though it's continuously growing and more and more people are joining? How do you maintain this sort of? Uh, sense of direction and sense of intimacy within the organization and sense of purpose when, when it's, it's a large organization. I mean, you have hundreds of lives, everyone has their own agenda. Everyone has their own life and their own goals. How do you keep everything on track for that? And that's a big challenge. I think for every organization, uh, I'm, and I'm not saying that I have exactly the, the answer for how to do that. Obviously, uh, today I am at the, at the, at the largest scale of a, an organization that I ever managed. Uh, so, you know, it, 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 for, for me, the, the, the path in business was, you know, start from alone in the room, moving on, you know, managing a few tens of people and then back to the alone in the room, you know, start again, managing a few hundreds and, and, and back again. So I've never been to the state where Cato is today and the size of the company. And thinking about the future is, is basically something that, you know, I can, I can go on from, you know, this conversation and think about it more, because we don't have the answers yet. Uh, I have some clues though. What are they? I think basically the, the, the difference in an organization that have the sense of direction is the fact that these are organizations, that don't, that they don't lose the, 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 Connection between the upper echelons of the organization and the people with the boots on the ground actually doing the work. There is if there is disconnect between what management sees, you know, and the decision makers and everyone, and actually the business and the, the process and the service itself, then the company loses focus. It's a it's a it's a it's a question of whether the, the uh, head of the army knows what happens, you know, in the the regiment, you know, near the border. It's a question of whether you understand the business and if you understand your service uh, or have lost sight of it because you're too abstract from it. And that's a challenge. And that's a challenge to maintain.
1: We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website ctech owned by Calcalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. ctech is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out calcalistech.com, c-a-l-c-a-l-i-s-t-e-c-h.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene.
2: It sounds to me that you love working very much, okay? And the enablement. Yeah, because people don't know this, like, you know, when I was younger, I didn't understand why there's business administration. I've just, after I did business administration, I worked somewhere. At the end of the day, you become from a worker to enabler. That's why a lot of the entrepreneurs, the great people, you know, the zapposes and the Netflixes and whatever, the Disneys, they are more on company culture, you know, the psychology of things than the, the working itself. Do you like the politics, the strategy, or do you like the working and creating more?
0: I I think I like the the creation, and and I actually actually uh, heard a very nice story uh, that was told by the by uh, a former CEO of Disney, and it was about whether uh, you should be uh, in touch with what's going on, and I I found this story actually very inspiring because uh, he said he told a story about you know when you uh, walk into hotel room and you go to the shower. And you have these little bars of soaps and all these, you know, shampoos, etc. And the lettering there is so tiny. And, you know, if you're a, a weary traveler and, and, you know, you need glasses just to know if it's a shampoo or a conditioner or whatever, I, I don't need any of those things. You know, we, we, don't, have, we, we don't have a, a camera, so, uh, you know, basically I don't have hair. But what Isa says is, you know, if you go into a Disney hotel, you will see that there's l- large lettering and that's my contribution you know i insisted on making sure that the shampoo lettering will be large enough so everyone can read whatever they're using so i think you know uh, even in large organizations people are not just enabling they keep very close tabs on what's actually going on in the trenches and it require and, and the re and if an organization is not there if something is not happening this way, it's because someone at the top or near the top, people at, at the decision-making level have decided that they, they, they do not pay the price. They do not want to pay the price for actually being in touch with what's going on. And there, it's, a, it's a heavy price, but they don't want to pay.
1: Maybe that happens when the leadership is not really the ones experiencing the pain, and then it's very difficult To be able to really put yourself in your target audience's shoes and that becomes a game of speculations and then you have to have a lot more mechanisms in place in order to have the actual feedback
0: yeah yeah and and
1: and again
0: it's it's a it's about effort it's about taking the time to really know and uh i've talked about in, in the past and i always describe you know the way that i see uh organizing time for managers as something that that really helps me perceive how to enable, uh, you know, managers to work and what I want them to do, and the way that I see organized time is: I uh, cut your time into three parts. One part is about people. A third is about people. You, you need to know the people in the organization. You need to be in touch with them. You need to mentor. You need keep in charge of that part. Third of your time. A third of your time comes with uh, really keeping in touch with what's going on and helping. If you're a professional, if you understand what's going on, your decisions will be very, very helpful. A third of the time goes into intercepting things that are going bad in the organization, helping out, uh, getting advice, really contributing. But the third part, which is something that really is mostly absent for many people, is the learning part do you take the time to learn new areas of the company? Do you take the time to learn in depth what's going on in places that you might have lost touch with? And learning is a difficult thing. It requires focus. It requires time. And it requires uh, a mindset to learn things that you haven't. And I think the third part, which requires also energy is the, because, because, you know, today, every day I could drift away, you know, following my calendar and have all sorts of meeting and think that I'm in charge and think that I know what's going on, et cetera. But it takes a a different kind of effort to set up a half half day at some point to learn something new because I think it might be an area that the company needs to improve on and it might be a blind spot that I have in the company.
2: I love that. Okay, let's talk talk about time management for a second, okay? So let's talk about the third to help like, you know, listeners, uh, you know, and actually me, myself, one of the biggest challenges. Let's, let's try the dissecting that. Third of the time for people, okay? So how do you define the third of the time? Because it sounds to me that a, a quarter of the time should be to organize the third of the time for people because you have to think about how you know, you know, to maintain that. So give me like a few tricks about, about uh, every third of that you were talking about.
0: So first, uh, w- when I talk about people, I talk about hiring new talent. So job interviews, you basically don't own that part. It's it's a it's a calendar oriented kind of uh, engagement. Second is meeting the people that you work with, and and using the forums that you have to basically do the mentoring and and talk with people. It's one on ones and it's uh, it's it's small meetings in which you basically try to build a team. And a, another part of it is just getting and engaging. And I, I for example, try to. Uh, have a conversation with each person in my organization in the company uh, between four months in the company and a year. So at least meet someone once. Figure out how was onboarding, how to how was arriving at Cato. Has the have the principles that we believe in in the company still been maintained? But really at that point, you know, get to know the people, identify the talents, and etc. So so that's the third that that belongs to people.
1: But I have to ask you, because I actually agree with you that the learning is the potentially the one that would get lost among the day to day. And it seems like you did sort of figure out how to not give up on that aspect. So with respect to that third, do you like actively block off time in your calendar or is it more of a checklist sort of thing, which is weekly or monthly or daily? How, how do you tackle that practically?
0: Well, it's, in part, it's blocking parts of the calendar. It's also uh, using the times, you know, early morning, late day, etc. Because in order to learn something, you need to have a, an extended period of time. If you look at your calendar and you have half-hour meeting, you know, covering all the, all the week, then there's no learning time at all. You may pick up a few things, but there's no distinct learning time. So you need to have big swaths of time that are available to learn new stuff. And by learning, I actually don't mean necessarily, you know, sitting at home reading something. I mean actually uh, engaging in a project, engaging in something that is not in your comfort zone. It could be learning about the laws of a particular country that you need to operate in. It could be about uh, drilling down into an area that you think is not working well. It could be about engaging and trying to figure out a new business uh, that, that the company needs to get into. But these times are, are, you know, I can also just characterize what the time looks like. I cannot say exactly how you can schedule them. The time looks like it's like an extreme focus time. You're doing one thing. uh, That means no social media. That means no distractions and and, and going to links beyond what you're doing. It means a very very small number of people engaged at the same point. It could be either you alone or a small group doing something um, and, and and it takes the time it takes the time to get into it it, get, it takes the time to uh, really get into the to this motion and it requires energy and that's why, why it's so rare I don't think it's a problem of people just taking time in their calendar it's about taking the mental energy to do something and I found it very very similar to the way uh, it happens during you know before you start a company. Because you need energy to start it, right? The first, you know, we are starting the first lines of code, the first customer engagement, the first stabs at the investor uh, presentation it requires a lot of energy. And, you know, if you know that, you know, I had like a 2 months vacation between the comp- previous company and this company, and the energy level just go down immediately.
1: So how do you fuel
0: that? You have to have a lot of motivation. I think if you're motivated to learn new things, if, you're, if you think that it's important for the success of the company, you take the time to build like the third of the time digging into areas that you don't know.
1: But that makes more sense to me than, you know, having sold the company and then there's a natural toning down and two months is nothing. And yet you decided that, you know, you're pulling that string and you're shooting yourself out of that cannon again. Like, how do you find... The motivation through that was there a th- was there a reason to do it so quickly uh, that you needed to tap into a specific time frame, which is highly unlikely because, as you mentioned, it took like four years to get buy-in from analysts. So I don't know if that would be the motivation. But in general, like you could have took more time. Is this like a, an addiction of sorts to, to to doing, or how do you how do you do that?
0: My sense was, and that's a personal sense. I think that there it's a, it's about the makeup of a personality. I know people who can take two years off everything and just do all sorts of things and would fill their time with lots of stuff and, and I'm not like that. So I, I'm a different I am a different kind of person and I knew that, you know, if because I'm a very focused kind of person and I'm very engaged with what I do, if there is nothing that I am engaged in, I'll just spiral into decay very, very
1: quickly. But you wouldn't because you would take that what's now third of a time to learn. And make it 100% of the time. And yet you decided that that's not what you're going to do. You're going to start it over. Yeah, it's a good point. But again, let's say, let's say that the,
0: if we're talking about, we talked about the, the stages of the company, the oscillating like between euphoria and crisis. Let's say that it's an euphoric time for the company. And things are just going smoothly and working. It's never like that. But let's say that it's not like a full crisis time in order to really take the third of the time to really engage in something new and, and invest, you have to have uh, motivation to do that. For me, it would be paranoia at that time. Paranoia would say, okay, there are areas right now that might not be an issue, but we need to do that. We, we need to get into that and figure out what will propel the company in the future. So the paranoia is what really drives you know, the motivation for drilling down and figuring out new things and learning new things about the company. So uh, if you'd say, what is the reason for the motivation for the third of the time? It's paranoia. It's knowing that somewhere ahead is a huge competitor's about to go go into your market. Maybe there are areas in what you're doing that you don't understand. There are some areas in your company that are going to crack. You need to figure them out. You need to drill down and really, really understand what's going on. That was my
1: The paranoia is also the reason like to, okay, let's not take time off to do, do a sabbatical. Let's do another company. Because if I don't do this company now, then I'm going to miss the, the opportunity.
0: No, if, if I don't do this now, I might enjoy doing nothing too much. Uh,
1: and, but, and by the way, you could have, right? Like you don't have to answer that. Definitely. But I guess after your, your exit, you probably could have.
2: No, you couldn't. He has the fear of comfort.
1: I,
0: I, I use money to invest in the company. I could have become an investor, uh, but I, I basically think that if you're doing nothing, you suddenly gradually decay into someone who enjoys doing nothing. And, and, and that's, that's the existential paranoia for entrepreneurs, I guess.
1: Wow, that's, that's interesting.
0: What's your superpower, Gore? I think it is, it is uh, the will to concentrate. If 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 I take this so to so, so summarize this conversation, uh, it's the it's the will and the desperation that you need to gather energy, to learn something new, at the same time that you could have just drifted on the calendar and basically have everything running smoothly. Would you call it self discipline or would you call it self reliance? I'm I'm more I'm more inclined toward discipline than reliance, uh, but. I I don't know. I don't know. It's 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 really every every project and every undertaking. And I think you know, someone who tries to practice it, I can offer a warning: going after every new project, digging into every new thing, is is a struggle. You know, it's 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 a time of great, uh, you know, personal difficulty when you commit yourself into something that would basically. Take away, you need to expand because none of your other chores is going to go away and you need to be constantly focused on two things. So doing that is, is something that requires a lot of uh, personal work to do. But I think for companies and for, for organizations, for people, it's something that's worthwhile to do, so worthwhile to try.
1: And, and what would you say... B- by the way, I am completely buying your humility. Like, you know, sometimes people... Uh, are are sort of actively, I think, trying to be humble. Uh, but I'm I'm really sensing that you're a humble person, uh, and, and 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 I'm really impressed. And and I'm wondering what your what you would you say your weakness is, your kryptonite. Um, <laughs> no,
0: that's a difficult one. Um, I think that again uh, my kryptonite would be exactly the, the thing that I fear it's the fact that I know that I'd be very comfortable you know my wife tells me you should never you know you should never retire because once you retire you'll basically be content in doing as little as possible and and I think the kryptonite is that the fact that you know it's really appealing doing nothing is really really fun and I enjoy it very much I waste my days away you know in a heartbeat if i'm not paranoid about something and 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 that's something that really really is uh you know a weakness of my i guess
1: that's I'm, really interesting I'm, I'm, I'm,
2: i really appreciate also the honesty and i like i really understand people working for you there's uh there's something beautiful like uh that that we find a lot when we ask the question about superpowers and weaknesses you we find that usually the superpower is also the weakness. Yeah, um, because you know a, yeah. like we have this theory, both of us, that you know it's all an energy. You can be jealous, which is a negative energy, and you can be competitive, which is a positive energy, and it's the same basic you know course source. And uh, on, on your sense, you know what you call paranoia, which by the way, um, uh, to total honesty, I'm very paranoid as well. It doesn't mean that someone's not after you, you know the sentence. So, so uh, um, the, the paranoia is, is, is the self re- that's why I asked about self-discipline, because it's self-reliance, meaning. you always have to put yourself in alert all the time and also you know that the the bad cause is that you can't you know you don't want to let go as well you know and um you know from the fear of something happening so i really feel you the honesty and and like i really believe that honest entrepreneurs right now not only help but it's kind of magnetizing because of all the you know fluff that's out there so like i really appreciate the honesty as well i can totally understand why Investors and investees and employees uh, would uh, love working for you. Thank you very much.
0: And, uh, but I, I really think it's, it's true uh, that if you think about the, the, the successful people, etc., there's nothing special about them. And I think that it's, it's, it's being well-researched by this time that the, cri- the real criteria with success and achievement in, in most areas has nothing to do with genes. It has nothing to do with miraculous birth. It has nothing to do with uh, something that you came into the world with. It's all about hard work and really the effort to do that. So I think every entrepreneur that says to himself or herself, you know, I'm not up to this. It's not something that I can do. It's absolutely something that's possible if you're willing to put the effort and the concentration into it.
1: Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, I think it sort of uh, summarizes everything that uh, we're trying to convey in this podcast. So, So thank you. And thank you for taking the time to talk to us. And we wish you all the best. Thank you very much. All the best. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, if you have a moment, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to. This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real Life Superpowers
2: It's alive!
0: real life superpowers